Online coursework is spreading quickly in American higher education. Some 14% of students were enrolled in online-only programs in 2015, and another 15% took at least one class online. Is the availability of online options simply displacing enrollment in traditional programs? Or is it expanding access to higher education to a new population of students? What can we learn from the experience of one of the few elite schools that has been an innovator in this space? I'm Marty West, editor of Education Next, and joining me today to discuss those questions is Josh Goodman, associate professor of economics at Harvard's Kennedy School and, I'm happy to say, a regular contributor to EdNext. Along with Julia Melkers and Amanda Pallas, he's the author of the new article, An Elite Grad School Degree Goes Online, which will appear in the summer 2018 issue of the journal and is available now at educationnext.org. Josh, welcome back to the EdNext podcast. Thanks so much for having me. So this is an unusual study in the sense that it looks at a single degree program at a single school, the online master's in computer science at Georgia Tech. How does this program compare to other models of online learning in higher education? What makes it unique and worth studying? Yeah, we, we got into this study in part because when Georgia Tech announced this program, it was getting a lot of attention because it was the first time that a, an elite institution uh, was saying, we're going to take uh, a degree program we have, a master's degree program that is extremely well respected. Georgia Tech has a top 10 computer science department, and we're going to make a fully online version of that. And not only that, but we're going to make it much less expensive than the traditional version of the program. So that combination of an elite institution with a high quality degree, putting that degree fully online, but at a different price, at a lower cost than the traditional program, is what makes this program unique. So some other institutions have created online versions of their degree programs, but they charge students just as much, and thereby sort of ignoring one of the reasons why there's excitement about the potential of online learning, that it could reduce costs. Exactly. It seems like one of the prevalent models out there is lots of institutions have put their degree programs online, but they charge exactly the same price uh, as for their traditional programs, in part because they don't want to cannibalize their own revenue streams, which is a certainly a concern that makes sense. But the result, as you said, is that uh, some of the potential benefits of the cost savings you can get and the flexibility of online education uh, then uh, th that high price then discourages the potential, those potential benefits from being realized. And the other extreme of the distribution, I guess, is the MOOC, right? The massive online open course that is generally offered free, but usually doesn't convey a degree at the end of the day. That's right. So, so MOOCs are exciting. They're easy to access. They're flexible. They're low cost. They're often free. I think one of the problems there is no one is still quite sure what to make of the learning that happens in MOOCs. It's not clear that the, uh, if a student is learning skills, that they can communicate those, the learning of those skills to employers on the labor market. And so I think there, there's no real evidence yet that MOOCs are substantially changing uh, labor market and educational outcomes for students, although they're certainly potentially promising. So how does the cost of this Georgia Tech program compare to the in-person alternative? Yeah, so Georgia Tech's uh, in-person master's degree costs about $45,000 a year, or $45,000, excuse me, for the degree. Uh, the online version costs about $7,000, so it's about one-sixth the cost, which is remarkable. The other thing that's remarkable about it is you don't have to pay the full cost up front. If a student wants to sort of experiment with this program, they pay course by course, so say something like five or $600 they have to invest up front. If the course goes well and they want to continue, they continue to pay course by course until they're done with the degree. But if it turns out 
the degree is not right for them or for some other, some other factor in their life interferes with them completing the degree. They're not out even the full $7,000. They're out only the amount of money they've spent on the coursework to that point in time. That's interesting because that could be attractive to a lot of students, but raises the possibility that you would see a lot of attrition from the program potentially over time. That's certainly one thing we've seen in the MOOC model is that lots of people start these courses, but not too many end up finishing them. No, that's absolutely right. So MOOCs have uh, extremely high attrition rates in part because making them free causes a lot of people who aren't serious about them to to sign up at the beginning. Um, Georgia Tech's in-person traditional master's degree program has uh, a completion rate in the, you know, above 90%. The students who start there complete very high rates. Our estimates at this point is that their their online program has completion rates that are somewhere in the 60, 70% range, although it's still too early to be sure because lots of students are going through it over a number of years. So it, it looks fairly successful in terms of retention and completion. Now, your study is not, per se, an evaluation of the quality of the online degree program relative to the in-person alternative. You have some evidence on how students appear to be faring, and we'll return to that later in the conversation, but your primary focus is on who's applying to and ultimately enrolling in the program. Why is that an important question to ask? Well, when we started this research, we were very much interested in comparing the efficacy of the online program to the efficacy of the in-person program, but what we found from looking at the initial data was that the two sets of people applying to these programs are radically different to begin with. Uh, And that makes the comparisons of outcomes very difficult, but is itself a really interesting fact. So in the traditional program, the typical applicant is a 23-year-old, 24-year-old, recently out of college, uh, and often uh, international from China or India, although there are some Americans in that program. What we found is that for the online program, the average student was in their mid-30s, and the vast majority of them were Americans. So that people who are in the middle of their careers, generally American, who may have families, homes, uh, jobs that they cannot physically move to to do further education with, uh, find this particular program extremely appealing. And perhaps the most interesting finding in the paper is that these people who are applying and enrolling, had they not enrolled in the online program, they wouldn't have actually pursued an alternative degree at all. So how did you draw that conclusion, uh, and why should we believe you when you say that? That's right. So, uh, so we have a, 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 a really nice result in this paper, which is uh, when Georgia Tech's online program first started admitting students, they actually had a GPA cutoff that they were using uh, in the process, uh, uh, just, just so that they could limit the first class to make sure that they had all their technology up and running in, in useful ways. And so what we can do is compare applicants to the program who were just above and just below that cutoff, who are actually very similar in lots of ways, uh, except that one set was given admission to the program, the other, on average, was not. And what we can see is that for folks who were denied admission to this program, these mid-career Americans for the most part, uh, we can track them to see if they go anywhere else in higher ed in the U.S., and, and we find basically that they don't, that if they don't get into this Georgia DEC program relative to the people who were admitted, they just don't find other alternatives. Um, there just aren't other combinations of sort of high quality and the flexibility that this online program offers that seem to be appealing to these mid-career Americans. One implication of that, if I'm thinking about it right, is that there's a hidden market for mid-career degree programs that are flexible in their requirements that American higher education hasn't been uh, serving. 
why, why do you think that's the case? Yeah, so, so just to give you a sense of the numbers, the online program at Georgia Tech now enrolls more than 10 times as many students a year as its traditional program does. And our estimates suggest that the program is so large, it, it has about 1,700 new students coming in every year, that it will eventually be producing about 10% of America's master's degrees in computer science, that single program. And so uh, it does seem like there's this large um, unmet demand for high quality, flexible education. And I think part of the issue is that it, uh, it's scary to be a first mover in this space. Um, uh, Georgia Tech was taking a bit of a risk by taking a, a known, a well-known degree they had with a good reputation and saying, we're going to construct an online, inexpensive version of this thing. Uh, the, the danger, of course, is if they got it wrong, they would ruin the reputation of their traditional degree, but they were willing to take that risk. And so far for them, it seems like the risk has paid off. And of course, higher education institutions don't seem always particularly concerned about maximizing enrollment. Harvard, for example, where we're sitting, you know, has not increased its enrollment even as the supply of qualified candidates has increased rapidly over time. It's not clear that universities always think about the problem they're trying to solve in those terms. No, that's right. And, um, you know, I think Georgia Tech was very thoughtful going into this. I think they believed that there was this untapped market for mid-career education. The, the program itself is actually uh, students have to do it part-time. So there's sort of an assumption that people are working or, or raising families while they're doing this thing. Uh, and so they came up with a way that they could uh, sort of prevent their, this program from cannibalizing their regular stream, which is sort of separating the part-time and the full-time students, and the model seems to have worked. So if your central finding is that the alternative to this online degree program is not a in-person program, but no degree program at all, it sort of casts the question of the quality of the online version in a new light, right? It's a lot easier to be better than nothing at all than to be better than the in-person alternative. Uh, but how are the students faring? What do we know about that? Yeah, so um, uh, one thing that Georgia Tech did at one point was uh, the online program is teaching basically the same curriculum as the in-person program by, designed by the same instructors and using roughly the same evaluations. And they actually did some blind grading of final exams from online students and in-person students where the graders weren't aware which pathway the students had come from. I and mean, if anything, they found that the online students slightly outperformed their in-person students, which, which they took as a sign that whatever they're doing is not diminishing the quality of the education they're delivering. Uh, but I will also say that it is too early to know things like is this degree, is this online pathway to a degree something that, that employers value? So we're in the process of trying to uh, sort of uh, hunt down good data on the outcomes of students who pass through this program and are sort of back out in the labor market or potentially getting promotions within their firms. And so uh, in a couple of years, we hope to have information about whether this degree appears to have uh, sufficiently improved people's skills that the labor market rewards them but we don't know yet. But of course, Georgia Tech, one of the things they did to try to sell this program is say that your degree is gonna be indistinguishable, right? That it's not going to say the online master's degree program, it's going to just be a master's degree. That's right, so Georgia Tech will be very clear by the fact that there are not two degrees here, there are simply two pathways to the same degree. Uh, now, you know, a clever employer would be able to look at someone's CV and say, aha, you did this degree while you were in your 30s, that means you did the online version. So, so even though the degree has the same title, it's possible that employers would be able to distinguish how a student achieved that degree. But I agree, it's, you know, Georgia Tech's very explicit goal is that, that people coming out of both pathways should end up with the same set of skills. And so time will tell if that's true.
So I ultimately find this analysis sort of quite compelling with respect to the conclusions you draw about this one program. My only question I'd have for you at the end of the day, I think, is, is this an easy test for online education because it is a degree in computer science? Is the content and the type of people who are interested in pursuing that degree program particularly well-suited for the online format in a way that many, perhaps most, higher education degrees aren't? Yeah, I think that concern is really well-founded. Uh, I think most of the successes we've seen, the real clear successes we've seen in the online space have come in coursework that is about math or statistics or computer science. Uh, in general, we've, we've now got some pretty clear evidence that online education uh, is challenging for students who don't already come in with a high set of skills. And so there's a part of me that is very hesitant to generalize the results of Georgia Tech and say this suggests that there are transformational possibilities in the world of higher education. On the other hand, the part of me that's optimistic is the part that says that one of the reasons for Georgia Tech's success is that they invested a lot of money up front in making sure that the, the online coursework and its delivery were high quality. So Georgia Tech will say that they spent two or $300,000 per course to, to create a high quality online experience, uh, which they were able to do in part with corporate funding from AT&T, which gave them a, a grant to get this program off the ground. So I think the optimistic take on this would be, uh, this may be evidence that if you invest a lot up front in making a high quality online experience, you may be able to uh, get the kind of benefits that people have been hoping to see from online education for a while. But I think the, the jury is absolutely still out on whether this model can be applied to other subjects and other populations of students that will make it more widely applicable. My guest today has been Josh Goodman, Associate Professor of Economics at Harvard's Kennedy School. You can find his study, An Elite Grad School Degree Goes Online, in the summer 2018 issue of the journal and online now at educationnext.org. Josh, thanks for being part of the podcast. Thanks again for having me. You've been listening to the Ednext Podcast. If you like what you've heard, be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, or another platform so that you don't miss an episode. And while you're at it, be sure to check out our archives, where you can find each of the more than 100 episodes we've recorded since 2015. Talk to you next week.